we don't realize what we're feeling sometimes, right? So like you can go hours and hours without eating because you're hyper-focused or because you're distracted or because, you know, just life happens. And you get to the point where you're so ravenous that you end up overeating and you eat whatever's in sight. Welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I am your host, Katie Weber. The following is a review on the Apple podcast platform in the UK from Fiona H. It's like listening to myself talking. I happened upon this podcast and listen in the car, so it's okay to talk to myself and no one can hear me saying, yep, and I do that every five minutes. I really like the format and easy conversational nature. Having been diagnosed this year at 52, I found this to be a great source of comfort in helping me understand what it all means for me. I hope there are lots more episodes to come. Thank you and keep up the good work. Thank you, Fiona. I love picturing you in your car chatting along with us. And I love that you took the time to leave me a review. I feel like I extra appreciate it whenever any listener with ADHD leaves a review because there are so many barriers to doing so like putting your thoughts into words or even just remembering to go to the Apple podcast app and type out the review because, you know, ADHD. So thank you again. Okay, this is episode 43 in which I interview Nicole DeMasi. Nicole DeMasi is a registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator who provides one-on-one nutrition coaching to help people with ADHD stop dieting, stop binge eating, and improve their relationship with food in their bodies. Nicole helps identify the connection between lifestyle habits, diet, stress, and mindset to make sustainable long-term changes. Her one-on-one coaching program gives a step-by-step system specifically for people with ADHD. And she's also put together an amazing free training video and a downloadable nine-step framework. So make sure to go get those over at eatingwithadhd.com. Nicole and I talk all about perfectionism and how often we get in our own way. In fact, it was Nicole's over-the-top perfectionism while planning her wedding and the subsequent burnout from that that actually led to her getting her official ADHD diagnosis last year. We also talk about how ADHD and restrictive diets are just a toxic combination and the dangers of apps like Noom and why so many of us struggle with binge eating. Nicole talks about interoception and the struggles that we have listening to our bodies and why planning can be so key when it comes to eating. She has so many incredible insights into uh, nutrition and the ADHD brain. So you will definitely enjoy this episode. So let's start out with your ADHD diagnosis um, in terms of how long ago it happened and how old you were and kind of what led up, what were the signs that led up to you actually thinking you might have ADHD and and how did you get your diagnosis? Um, So I, geez, I remember looking at a book that that was describing ADHD back when I was oh maybe 12 and I was like huh that's strange like I have a lot of these symptoms I have memory issues and I can't pay attention I have to read things over and over and over again I wonder if this is me um but when I was young and even still now I kind of had a lot of health anxiety where I always thought there was something wrong with me um kind of that like hypochondriac type of of feeling. And so I always just thought like, oh no, it's just me. Like, I'm just worried about it. I'm just anxious. And so I never actually pursued it. Um, 
And I never talked about it with anyone. Like I would just tell my mom like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm feeling anxious and I'm having trouble with things, but my mom, I'm pretty sure has ADHD as well. So she wasn't um, like mentally stable enough to help me through these things. Cause she didn't understand it either. She was just kind of in her own little ADHD brain <laughs> as well. So um, I didn't get the support I needed. And so it, I just kind of went through life. Um, that's a, that's a huge uh, summary of what actually my life was like. But, but sometimes it does feel like you're just kind of sailing through. <laughs> it, oh my gosh. Yeah. It was like, um, it was lots of bumpy sails. Let me put it that way. Like whitewater rafting, I would say it was like more like my life <laughs> versus sailing. Um, but yeah, I had like a pretty, I wouldn't, I don't want to say a rough childhood because um, I, I think we compare ourselves to others a lot. Right. And we're like, Oh no, like mine wasn't half as bad compared to these other people. But for my childhood, it was, it was pretty tough. Like my parents weren't together. My dad was an alcoholic. And then my mom sort of um, had ADHD and didn't really know it. And she was struggling with depression. And so there was like all these things that I used to blame my symptoms on. Right. So I'd be like, I just, I'm just anxious because of, you know, dad or something that mom's going through. I never actually like thought it was me. Right. So I had all these problems and it wasn't until I was in uh, actually way after college, maybe in my twenties, like late twenties, that I was like, hmm, I wonder if I have ADHD, like, uh, but I don't fit the mold, right? So I was that that person that was like, I'm not like my friend. Like, I can think of one of my best friends growing up who had ADHD, and she was just like, you know, the typical, like, what I would call, like, um, not to be offensive, but a scatterbrain, mm-hmm. right? Like, total, like, all over the place, like, um, just... And she embraced it. She knew it, and everyone knew she had ADHD because she got diagnosed when she was young, so she was my, um, like, I guess, poster for what I thought I should be like, because she was more hyperactive, but I was more inattentive, right? So I was just basically thinking that because I don't look like her, I don't have it. Um, and so I just never pursued it. And I was actually a little bit like ashamed of like what I was going through, because I I did well in school, but not really like I did well in certain classes like science. Um, and that was about it. I hated math. I hated, um, English, anything that I had to memorize stuff. I did not like it. And then this is probably like way much more information than you're looking for, but, um, I'm just trying to think of like my life and how I went through, but, um, I didn't get diagnosed officially until last year at the age of 33. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be 35 this year. So I basically went through my whole life with all of these weird feelings and things that I couldn't describe to people. Um, No one really understood me. No one got me. And I just felt like I, there was something wrong with me. Like I was broken, like, how come life is so much harder for me than it is for everyone else? You know, that sort of like a feeling where you're just like, you just don't know really what's going on. And so, sorry, I'm like getting emotional about it. (laughs) 
Um, so I told myself I wasn't going to cry about it, but I am. <laughs> it is. It is such an emotional journey, you know, and it, I mean, I have so many listeners too, who talk about crying, listening to the episodes. And I always sort of feel like, yeah, like it is, it is so emotional, especially talking about what you're talking about when it comes to this, like the struggle, you know, like how, how do we even define what is the struggle for ourselves for so long? Am I even struggling? Like you said, like there's always this way in which you kind of gaslight yourself, which is like, other people are struggling more, you know, so I don't have a reason. And I remember feeling that so many times in my life being like, why am I so depressed? There's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with my life. I have this husband who loves me. I have kids. I have like, everything seems okay. Why am I so depressed all the time? And, and always wondering, like, mm -hmm. do I have a learning disorder? Do I have something, you know, what is the, you know, just the, the, exhaustion, that constant exhaustion of just always feeling like the answer is out there somewhere. I just haven't found it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's that perfectionism piece because you, you know, that you can reach a certain standard, but you can't actually get there. Mm -hmm. And that's like frustrating. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's that feeling of like, and I know you've talked about this before on your other episodes where you feel like you've, you know, you can do it. You've done it before, but you can't figure out why. And then once I figured out what ADHD was and what hyperfocus is, I'm like, Oh my God, that's why like I could get through college because I was hyper-focusing and I waited till the last minute to do everything. And I was up till 2 a.m. writing my paper and I got it done and it was great, but it was a stressful experience all the time. Like hyper-focus for me gives me anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because I get so excited or I get like overstimulated about something, what, depending on what it is. It could be excitement. It could be anxiety at the deadline or whatever it is but that experience for me is just uncomfortable and I used to put that down I used to think of it as a negative experience because I didn't know what it was but now that I understand what hyperfocus is and that it's actually my brain just getting a little bit of dopamine that it's not used to um, that I can actually like identify it as a positive feeling instead and that's really been really helpful for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so much of this journey, I feel like has been reframing the way I define a lot of these things in my life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yes. So was your diagnosis lockdown related? Because I, I feel like so many of the people yeah. I interview, uh, it was like, yeah, the pandemic lockdown, that was definitely my experience. Mm -hmm. I just was like, my house of cards just fell apart. <laughs> um, yes, it was. I would say, you know what, the year before um, lockdown, I was actually planning my wedding and that was a, a disaster for me. I'm not going to lie. Like I was like perfectionist. I needed to have everything that was like Pinterest ready and like exactly how I wanted it. Yet I did not have the budget for that. So I was like creating this experience that was so hard for me. I even had a wedding planner and I just like didn't listen to her. I was like, no, no, I want it this way. Like your, your way is not going to work for me. <laughs> so bad. And then that's what, like one of the questions you have is like, when you, when you look back and what was, what was, um, ADHD, like that was totally ADHD for me, but I actually, this, this is ADHD in itself is I diagnosed myself that year while I was wedding planning. 
I specifically remember I woke up one morning and I was like so frustrated with myself and I just Googled, why can't I concentrate? And ADHD popped up and I read an article on Attitude magazine and I just bursted out in tears. I felt like I could have read the article myself or written it myself. And my husband came in the room and he was like, just comforting me. And I, I remember feeling like so relieved that there was a name to put to what I was feeling, you know, and it was like, cause I had always suspect, suspected it, but I didn't realize that it was different in women and an attentive ADHD was different. And I was just like, Oh my God, this is me. Like I'm not broken. There's something, there's something like that I can actually label myself as and it made me feel really good. But also that started the whole, um, I guess I kind of felt like, well, what if my fiance at the time doesn't want to marry me now because I have this like issue that's wrong with me, right? So because anytime you have a diagnosis or like grief, you go through all the stages of grief, right? So you're like processing it um, until you get to the acceptance phase. And so at that point, I was just like in shock because I was like, oh my God, I have this and I'm really excited and relieved and so he just comforted me and said you know like this is a good thing um you know now you can get help for it and it was just so nice and then of course I spent the next nine months planning the wedding and I didn't go go to a therapy (laughs) oh god I if I could do anything differently I wish that I had gotten treatment before I planned my wedding because I just totally um I I stressed myself out so much. I wasn't sleeping. I was like ruminating about things. I was trying to be perfect about everything. And the the point, it got to the point where the day of my wedding came and I was so stressed out that I couldn't even enjoy the positive feelings. Mm. And I regret that so much. Um, but yeah, it was. It is what it is. I mean, I'm. I can just look back at it now, and and my husband actually laughs at me because I. Th- this is so ADD. Okay, I didn't know the the day of my wedding, and I'm. This is probably going way off topic, but um, not really because it's ADHD. I was going to say. You know what I mean? <laughs> this is all about meandering. <laughs> I was so stressed out on the day of the wedding, not because I wasn't excited, not because I wasn't happy, but just overwhelmed with emotion and like how the day was supposed to go. And I wasn't sleeping well because I was so anxious and all these things. So the day of the wedding got there and I had my family around me and my friends, but I forgot to get my nails done. So they had someone come to the room like do my nails for me the morning of and I'm totally time blind completely time blind when it comes to that stuff nobody nobody knew that I had ADHD so nobody was there to support me to be like hey Nicole by the way like you only have an hour left to get ready I did not I wasn't paying attention they thought that I just had it all figured out so basically um they come I get my nails done the woman is she leaves and they're like, okay, Nicole, like you need to hurry up now. You need to get ready. And I'm like, oh, oh my God. Okay. Like, sure. I'll get ready. And then it comes time to walk down the aisle and I haven't eaten lunch. And I got so shaky that 
I just started feeling like, oh my God, I need to eat something. So they pull me into the office, they give me a banana and some water. Meanwhile, the wedding planner didn't know that I wasn't there and she started the ceremony without me. So the whole like, oh my gosh, Nicole, you're late to everything. You're going to be late for your own wedding thing actually happened to Mm me. (laughs) Like, this is my worst nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Like the wedding planner had to come running for me in the back and was like, Nicole, we start, like, we're starting, they're waiting for you. And I was like, what, what do you mean? (laughs) It's like, it was awful. And, and I'm laughing about it now, but it was really, really a, like a terrible experience for me because I was like, oh my God, like I was so stressed out. And it kind of frazzled me to the point where I couldn't actually enjoy the moment of getting married because that was in my head. Like it was taking over. And so now I laugh, but yeah, I'm sure we've, we've all had these experiences where we kind of ruin a moment that's and it's like so important to us because of time management or just not even realizing that, um, you know, we haven't been taking care of ourselves, right? So that lack of self-care because you're so hyper-focused on other things. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I've related so much to all of that. My wedding planning, mine was 20 years ago. And like I had so many, you know, I the same idea of like the perfectionism, wanting everything to be perfect, doing it all myself. And then, uh, you know, also showing up late and um, and not really being able to enjoy the day because it just all went through by so quickly and I didn't eat anything. And like, I just got drunk on champagne so quickly that like, I don't remember a lot of it. And I regret mm-hmm. so much now being a sober person, like all of these moments in my life that I regret using mm-hmm. alcohol to such a degree <laughs> that I was like, I don't know what I said to people. I don't, you know, like it was just such a sad, um, I feel like we could have like an entire episode devoted to, women ADHD and wedding planning, but like also (laughs) even just like birthdays, like I have a really, really hard time with my birthday because I'm like, I don't like to throw parties for myself because I get so stressed out. I don't like attention, but if I don't get attention, then that's a problem. You know, like, I just feel like there's so much that just becomes heightened and Mm. kind of in the four, you know, these sort of social anxieties that I don't like to think about. And then all of a sudden become these huge stressful issues for me that I'm like, I just want this day to be over with as fast as possible and get mm-hmm. over and then go back to it. And I'm like, well, that's so sad. It's a day to celebrate you. Like that's not self-care, yeah. but I just feel like there's just so much detail and subtext that I just can't, I get overwhelmed, emotionally overwhelmed and I can't handle it. Yeah. And then you feel guilty because you let that happen instead of just enjoying the day. Yeah, exactly. And then it goes back to that idea of like, why am I so depressed all the time? Like, I'm not, I don't have a bad life, you know, and again, it's sort of like, what is wrong with me? Always going back to that question that we always have about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know I am very open about my own experiences with therapy. I've been seeing the same therapist for years, and it was my therapist who first suggested I had ADHD and set me on this personal path of transformation. But it also took a while to find the right fit for me, which is why it is so awesome that online resources like BetterHelp exist. 
BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It is not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online from the comfort of your home. And it's available for clients worldwide. So you get access to a broad range of expertise, which might not be available locally. If you visit their website and read through their testimonials, there are actually quite a few reviews that specifically reference help with ADHD. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 10% off of your first month. Simply sign up at betterhelp.com slash women ADHD. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash women ADHD. So I'm curious kind of what led you to even be interested in becoming a registered dietitian. We all have such a complicated relationship with academia with ADHD. Um, so mm-hmm. how, what was your schooling like growing up? I've always, I always science, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, yeah, I actually didn't know what I wanted to do until my junior year of college, like three years in, it was like three years in. And I basically was like, I still, I don't have a major yet. Like I need to pick a major. I've been in college for three years now. And I I was just sort of taking like chemistry and, um, you know, like, uh, anatomy and physiology. Cause I was like, well, I might be a nurse. I might do this. I might do that. But none of it actually was exciting to me. Um, and I had always been interested in nutrition, but I didn't even know that it was possible to have a career in it. Cause I didn't, I didn't have a dietitian growing up. Like I didn't even know that that was an option really. Um, cause I, I grew up like pretty poor, I would say. So we didn't have those things around. Like none of my friends and family members went to dietitians. We didn't really have one in school. Um, I didn't really learn about it until I took a nutrition class and I like aced it because I was so hyper-focused the whole time. I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. Like I love nutrition. And it's interesting because even though I, I did have disordered eating back when I was like 12 years old, um, like starting at 12, I had no idea that nutri- like a, a career in nutrition was even a thing. So it's so strange because it was sort of disconnected, but came full circle once I got into nutrition. Mm-hmm. So once I started um, taking nutrition classes, I had to switch um, over to a university because my college didn't offer it. So then I, I did another two and a half years at the University of Rhode Island. And then as you know, when you major in nutrition, the only option really, if you want to further your career is to become a registered dietitian. Um, unless you want to, you know, just work in a health club or become a scientist or a nutrition science, but I wanted to be a dietitian. So um, I actually, I didn't think my grades were good enough at the time to, to get into an internship program. I'm sure like you've heard how intense it is to actually get into an internship, like Mm -hmm. with all the other dietitians that you've, you've interviewed, but it's a very intense process. So I worked for a little bit um, and then I applied to an internship and I wanted to sort of get out of Rhode Island because that's where I'm from and it's a tiny state. And I was like, I need something new. So I I went over to um, Cal, uh, Cal, Cal state Northridge Um and in in California and I didn't get in the first time because it was like an intense process where I had to fly all the way to LA and they there were eight people doing the interview it was sort of like you were on trial 
and it was very intense. I wasn't ready for it. So I went back, applied again, got in, did that for two years, um, and it's a combined master's program. So um, I got my RD in 2013, and then I finished with my master's in 2014. Um, so during that time, I actually felt like, and I know that this is sort of jumping around a little bit because I haven't, we haven't talked about like my history with my relationship with food yet, but mm-hmm. I would say it was, it was very all over the place, um, depending on how my life was and how my stress is, um, how my stress was at the time, like it, it would jump around. Um, but definitely when I got into nutrition, there were parts of me that had a better relationship with food. But what I didn't realize was that the rules, the food rules just kept compounding. Like it was one food rule after the next that I was adding on. And I thought it was just me bettering my health. Um, I didn't think of it as disordered eating. I just thought like, this is what you're supposed to do to be healthy. And this is how it is. And you're a dietitian, So you know how to eat healthy and you should do it. You should follow it. Um, there's a lot to unpack in those years, but, but yeah, um, it's basically how I became a dietitian. And then I, um, I worked in hospitals. I worked in outpatient, um, clinics. I've worked in dialysis. I've worked for a medical device company selling, um, Omnipods, which is like a, a, um, uh, insulin pump that you wear. It's a, a cordless one. So I've done all these different jobs because I was never satisfied with one. I was just like, no, I want to get this experience and that experience. And that's like so ADD, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I basically wanted to get experience in everything. And uh, mostly because I couldn't decide what I wanted to do. And then I became a um, certified diabetes educator. So that was mostly out of um, the job that I was doing working with um, insulin pumps. So that's when I became the educator, but it wasn't until the last few years that I've really, really thought about having my own practice. Um, Specifically during quarantine, I kind of was like, okay, well, I'm not going to go back to working at a clinic. I don't want to work in a hospital. So I'm just going to create my own private practice because I'm tired of working for all of these, these companies and clinics that just don't get it. Like they, they didn't see what I saw and they were just harming people. And, um, yeah, it just, it was, I wanted to do things the way I wanted to do it, which I guess is like ADD too. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, Not wanting to sort of follow what everyone else was doing, but yeah. Well, you know, I was recently listening to the book Atomic Habits, which I don't feel like I can recommend so simply because it's very interesting and I think it's very ADD friendly and I'm sure somebody with ADHD recommended it in the first place. I don't remember who recommended it to me. Um, But he talks about eating and dieting whenever he talks about like healthy habits, you know? And so he always like when he's talking about healthy habits, the examples he uses a lot of the time are structured around food and eating and weight and exercise. And 
And he has such this like regimented idea of what health is, you know, and and so it was this idea of like, well, of course you would do all of these things that are empirically healthy. And, you know, and it was frustrating because I was listening to him through my own lens of having this like dieting history and going through diet recovery. And I was like, it's not that simple for so many of us. <laughs> like some people just have this gift if they don't, uh, you know, uh, basically men, but not all men, but you know, this idea that like they have this, you know, very like regimented idea of like what you do and what you don't do. And this is good and this is bad. And so it was just interesting listening to him talk about that because I was like, this is such a nuanced topic and it's something mm -hmm. I love talking, thinking about and talking about and now reevaluating everything through this lens of ADHD being like, mm -hmm. why, you know, I think we are naturally drawn to being like geeking out over the details and nutrition has a lot of details and it's something that we do every day. And so it's like, mm -hmm. it makes sense to me why we get so fascinated by mm -hmm. all of the science behind everything. Yeah. But at the same time, like there are just certain elements to nutrition that are, you can't control, you know, like your at the mm -hmm. end of the day, your body is not a machine that you can control. Yeah. Uh, and, and so like honoring that and, and working with it and then kind of the gentle nutrition side of it is such a huge part of healthy living when you take into the emotional elements of it. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't feel like that kind of fluidity and that kind of freedom that is involved with gentle nutrition and intuitive eating, I don't think that feels comfortable for a lot of us with ADHD. It certainly does. I'm very uncomfortable with intuitive eating mm -hmm. because of structure, you know, and because of needing so much of that science and the answers and the hard black and white thinking that we mm -hmm. tend to do. And so anyway, it's yeah. a topic I'm endlessly fascinated by. Yeah, definitely. I think at the end of the day, like I really relate to those people who are like, I just want a pill that will feed me. You know how there's always that person who's <laughs> like, I don't like, I just want to know what the right thing to do is. And I think so many of us feel that way, which is like, just yeah. tell me the thing to do. And it's, that's impossible, especially when it comes to nutrition. Yeah, it, it really is. Cause there is no one size fits all. Um, but I, you know, I look back to when I first became a dietitian and I was just like you don't really have your, um, your own values yet. Right. You're sort of just like going by the book. You're trying to be like the star dietitian by following all the rules and, and, you know, following these diets exactly because, you know, your preceptors and your, um, the other dietitians who are watching over you are just making sure that you're going by the book, right. You're not allowed to have your own ideas of what nutrition should be yet. Mm -hmm. Until you, you know, until you get your own private practice and you're like, you know what, like I have my own ideas and you can use science and you should use science, right? I, I'm not saying that you should go against it. I'm saying that you should use science, evidence-based um, nutrition, but there's a reason why these people keep coming back to you over and over and over again, not being able to follow your rules, right? And I'm using quotes for rules because there's so many rules around food and you just, you're, we don't work like that as humans, not even, not even people with ADHD, just people in general. And I honestly, I would like to send out a mass apology to everyone that I ever counseled back then who I gave any rules to, because you don't know what type of um, psyche these people have, right? You don't know what, what they're dealing with and you can't possibly when you have 30 minutes with someone to sit down with them 
You don't know if this person has history of eating disorder. You don't know what they're going through. And you don't have time to go through all of that and ask all those questions in a typical clinic setting, right? Because you're, you might be seeing them, like I said, for 30 minutes or maybe an hour if you're lucky and you could be harming them. And that's why I really believe in that like one-on-one -on -one, um, sort of like long-term program um, like I do with my clients because you have to get to know them. You need to see where they're coming from, their history with eating, um, their relationship with food and their bodies. Like there's so much that goes into it um, that you cannot possibly do in one session. And that is why I cannot and will not ever again work in an outpatient clinic setting unless it's, uh, you know, one that could potentially give the type of program that I could do, but I'd rather just do it on my own, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and it's so funny because I think another quality of ADHD is that sort of stubbornness and feeling like you need to figure this out on your own, right? You need <laughs> yeah. to be able, I, I can do the research, I can do the work, I can figure this out on my own, I'm bright enough, I'll just read, I'll just Google, I'll look it up, like, I, I'll do everything. Like, we have such a reluctance to ask for help. And then there's apps like Noom and Weight Watchers that are like, I can help you for $14 a month. Doesn't that sound perfect? And you're like, yeah, it kind of does. You know, like we have such a problematic relationship with spending money on ourselves and spending money on resources. And then the, it seems like there is a market for cheap resources, even though mm -hmm. none of them work and they're all scams, but there's, mm -hmm. we, you know, we get this sense of like, well, this is how much my health is valued at, you know, $15 yeah. a month or something. Yeah. And I think that's been a big mindset shift for me in the more I've realized about my ADHD and how it sort of manifests and how much help I need, <laughs> like how I really needed to reevaluate what I spend my money on in terms of getting help, you know, and how like I really had to embrace help, you know, and, and look at like why why do I feel like asking for help is such a negative thing in my life? Why do we have so much shame around that? Yeah. I don't know why I started. What, what even got me on that little <laughs> rampage? I think it was about one-on-one -on -one work. Yes, that's what it was. <laughs> Working one-on-one -on -one, I think is so important, especially for people with ADHD who need individualized attention and need hand-holding a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, I think it's just because we want that immediate satisfaction a lot of times, right? Like, because mm -hmm. we get bored easily. So if something's taking too long, we know it's not going to work for us, right? And that's why people go from diet to diet to diet to diet, not just because they don't work, but because you might do like a, um, not, I don't recommend this, but like you might do keto for like, you know, two weeks and it's great at first, but then it kind of fizzles out because you're like, oh, this is, this is really hard and I'm bored with it and I need to switch up what I'm eating. And so then you go to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And that's like, there's a whole other reason, obviously, why those don't work just, and, and I don't recommend them, but um, I was just speaking to one of my clients about this the other day is how she said, you know, I, I'll try new things for like two weeks, but I never stick with them because they're so exciting. They have that, you know, shiny object syndrome where you're, you go for something that's really exciting and then it fizzles out. But when you do a one-on-one -on -one program, you're speaking to this person every week and you talk about whatever it is that burning, right? That burning desire that you have to speak about, whatever it is that is on your mind, whatever troubles you're having, 
um, that's what you talk about that day, right? And you might have a little bit of an agenda, but it's usually just about what the client needs. And that's why it's so different than something like Zoom, Noom, Zoom, <laughs> the <laughs> Noom or these other programs where you're, it's not really um, that one-on-one personalized approach that mm-hmm. you need, I guess. Um, uh, yeah. And again, I'm, I'm digressing. I don't even know what we're talking about anymore, but <laughs> what I'm basically saying is don't do Noom. <laughs> no, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. It's just, we have to be really, really careful that we're not promoting disordered eating in people. That's the yeah. biggest thing. Yeah. And, and again, I, you know, I think the term health is incredibly nuanced when you take into consideration the like emotional toll of Mm -hmm. chronic dieting and feeling like, you know, so many of us, when we start out something like keto with, um, with such fervor and excitement or any diet that we get really into for a couple of weeks, cause we're hyper-focusing mm-hmm. and, and then there's that inevitable belief that we are failures because we couldn't stick with it, you know? And so then, and, and diet culture will, will promote that. I mean, diet culture works in that much in that same way, which is like the diet works, you know, way, I, this was my criticism with Weight Watchers all the time, which was like, when it's working, it's because of Weight Watchers. When it's not working, it's because you're the failure. And, you know, so mm-hmm. there was always that assumption that, like, if you could just get your act together and get back on the program, it would work for you again. Mm-hmm. And so there's always this sort of assumption that if whatever working is, I mean, that's another conversation, too, <laughs> was, uh, you know, rather than working, you know, rather than talking about things in terms of always a weight centric idea of what health is and what working is, you know, there's so many more factors in terms of your emotional health and like, how happy are you with what you're doing right now? Mm-hmm. And I think structures in general for people with ADHD too, like, you know, I, sometimes I see myself getting like super excited to have a new calendar system and I get like super hyper-focused into all of my to-do lists and all of like organizing. I love organizing and and I get really into it. And then I'm like, it's at the expense of productivity, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. where it's sort of like you realize you get you back yourself into these corners where you're doing things at the expense of your own happiness. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's something I can't even like articulate what that is, but I, I feel like that's something that people with ADHD struggle with a lot, which is like getting so wrapped up in the details yeah. that they lose track of like, what was my goal even mm-hmm. in the first place. And so if you take that and approach it, or if you take that idea and apply it to food and eating and nutrition, I think a lot of us struggle with that. A lot of us struggle with like, I don't even really know what feeling good is. Like, I don't, you know, these are a lot of questions that I think people take for granted, which is like, I don't even know when I feel good in my body and when I don't, because that kind of a level of attention is hard. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Cause I'm on overdrive all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, also because we don't have as much interoceptive awareness, right? So that, feeling of sensations in our body and knowing when we're hungry. Um, and so I think a lot of my clients, I have to, you know, go through the hunger and fullness cues with them and, and tell them like, this is what it feels like to start being hungry. It might not be that gnawing feeling in your stomach. You might actually start to get irritable. Or you might have a headache or you might actually 
just start to lose focus a little bit more than you than you already do <laughs> with ADHD. But there's there's these other cues and and also just like checking in with yourself and knowing like how long has it been since I've eaten my last meal or snack because we don't realize what we're feeling sometimes, right? So like you can go hours and hours without eating because you're hyper focused or because you're distracted or because um, you know just life happens and you get to the point where you're so ravenous that you end up overeating and you eat whatever's in sight. And people feel a lot of guilt about that, but, and, they, and then they feel like there's lack of willpower involved with it. Like you mentioned earlier, and it has nothing to do with willpower. It's actually just your body working the way it's meant to, right? Our bodies are wired for survival. And if, if you don't feed your body within a certain amount of time, whether it's intentional or unintentional, it's going to send you a message that says, feed me. And it's going to go for the quick carbs, the ones that break down the easiest because our bodies are very wise. They know exactly what we need. And it's going to make you crave something that's quick and easy, aka the quick stuff that you grab out of your, your pantry, right? So it's usually the quick stuff that's already prepared. You don't have to make it. So when I talk to my my clients, I always have them plan ahead. And I know that planning is something that we struggle with, which is why a lot of times it's difficult, but um, planning ahead can be huge. And it, it doesn't need to be this like huge meal plan or anything that's structured. It's just having some um, time to check in with yourself. First of all, first and foremost, check in at regular times throughout the day and ask yourself, are you actually hungry? What is it that you need in this moment? And if you know it's been a while since you've eaten or it's going to be even longer till you can eat your next meal, you have to check in with yourself and potentially have a scheduled snack. And, and I know that that kind of goes against the intuitive eating principles, which is basically just eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. But with ADHD, because we don't feel those sensations all the time, sometimes you do have to plan those snacks in, especially if you're taking... Um, like uh, stimulants, right? Because those decrease your appetite. And what happens when you don't eat all day, when you take stimulants is you, or just in general with anyone that doesn't eat throughout the whole day, you end up leading to um, overeating or, or even a binge in the evening because you just didn't give yourself the proper nourishment throughout the day, right? So it's just having those snacks planned ahead of time, um, it doesn't need to be anything fancy. It could be an apple with peanut butter. It could be a peanut butter sandwich, um, things that we can just easily throw in our bags, right? Just like these quick things. But eating is very, very important to our mental health, emotional health. Um, and also just, I know I get super hangry all the time. And I didn't, I don't even realize it. Like sometimes it, I have to do these check-ins myself. There's no such thing as perfect intuitive eating, right? you have to do these check-ins. I have to practice it myself. And that's one of the things that I had to work on because I had a hard time when I first figured out that I was under eating as a dietitian and that I was actually exhibiting signs of disordered eating because of all the food rules that I had. And I did not even realize it until I started my intuitive eating journey myself, which was honestly, just last year, mm -hmm. like very, very recent.
I wanted to let you know about the brand new women and ADHD online community. So two things I hear time and time again from listeners of this podcast is A, wow, I feel so much less alone. And B, I feel like I finally found my people. We have felt so alone for so long, which is why the desire to understand ourselves and make connections and feel understood is really strong in all of us. I mean, it's why I started this podcast, to find others who were experiencing life like I was. And in doing so, I have met so many guests and listeners who are just amazing, brilliant ADHD women. And now I want you all to meet each other. That's why I've started this free online community because I believe finding our people is an integral part of treating our ADHD. When it comes to understanding our brains and the way we tick, we do so through conversation and community. We like to talk it out and get feedback and explore ourselves and sort through the chaos and ultimately know that we are not alone in all of this. So head over to womenandadhd.com to join. It's totally free. You can look around, introduce yourself, post thoughts and questions, pontificate to your heart's content. And there's also a constantly evolving list of ADHD resources. And you also have the option at any time to upgrade, and that'll give you all sorts of exclusive content like early access to this podcast, a free copy of my audiobook, Worth It, A Journey to Food and Body Freedom, as well as twice monthly live member hangouts on Zoom with me and other members where we talk about our ADHD brains and symptoms and hormones and nutrition and plenty of other life topics we obsessively ponder as neurodivergent women. So again, head over to womenandadhd.com to join us. There's also a link in the show notes. All right. I can't wait to see you there soon. No, you just reminded me of one of my favorite stories about orthorexia because I, when I had struggled with binge eating, and so my story was basically like, I have to nip this in the bud. I have to figure out how to stop binge eating because apparently starving myself all day to offset the binging at night is not helping with the binge eating. So I was like, if I can just stop the binge eating, then I can eat normally throughout the day. And I had gotten myself into this like shame spiral of like not eating all day because I knew the binge was coming. And so whatever. Uh, highly disordered. And so I, of course I like started researching binge eating. Mm -hmm. What is it? Why, what's causing it? How do I solve it? Quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, the time and time again, it was, the answer was binge eating is not a problem. Binge eating is a symptom of restriction. And Mm -hmm. so you really, if you want to stop binge eating, you need to stop restriction. But as a chronic dieter, I was like, well, that's terrifying. I can't stop restriction. I I, I don't trust myself to eat when I'm hungry and stop when I'm full. Like I was like, I don't have any concept of that. And so I figured I could work my way around that by eating whatever I wanted, as long as it was perfectly grass-fed, organic, you know, like then I could just created this whole long list of food rules about what the type of food was. Mm-hmm. And so I had built my, you know, I had built all of these walls around like what I could and couldn't eat. Um, and I remember like going to visit my mother-in-law in Florida, which we do every year. And like she, uh, because she's a lovely person, like went out shopping for us so that when we arrived, uh, there would be food in the fridge. And I opened the fridge and I was like, this milk isn't organic. These eggs aren't pasture raised, you know, or, or um, yeah, whatever. 
even I remember I couldn't I wouldn't even take cage free eggs because I was like cage free is not enough. They have to be free running eggs. And like I had just mm-hmm. so many rules that I looked in the fridge and I was like, I can't eat anything that's here that she's gotten for us. So I'm just not going to eat anything. And then, of course, I started drinking and then everybody went to bed and I ate a box of Pop-Tarts. And I, and I just like the absurdity of that whole progression of that whole day just like sat on me where I was like, yeah, this is clearly a problem. Mm. Um, and that was when I really started like opening my eye, mind, opening my eyes to like what restriction even is like restriction isn't necessarily caloric restriction. Restriction exists, especially for women in our society and so many levels. And you really need to like start unpacking where am I restricting myself in my life? And that's when I actually was able to stop the binge eating was like, you know, opening my eyes to like, where in my life am I, and am I being restrictive and why? Mm, But then, but again, like you said, like the, a lot of the, a lot of the tools in it with that come with intuitive eating are really, really difficult. And I thought it should be easier for me. And I thought, you know, well, this is about freedom, like freedom should be easy, right? You know, like, uh, and, and so I also kind of really struggled in silence or, or you know, hiding the struggles I was having with the fact that I was like, I don't think I'm ever going to really understand when I'm hungry. And I don't think I'm ever going to understand when I'm full and I'm doing this badly. You know, like I just felt like I was bad at intuitive eating. And then mm-hmm. again, it was like unpacking that concept of like, you're not bad at thing. Like, you know, this uh, always going back to that question of like, what's wrong with me that everybody else can figure this out and I can't. Mm-hmm. And it was really kind of getting to that question more than anything else that I think finally, I mean, I'm, I'm, I haven't finally come to anything. I'm still unpacking all of it constantly. And it's like whack-a-mole when it comes to disordered eating. Yeah. <laughs> like, <It really> is. <laughs> um, and so I was curious, you know, when I found out that you had, um, your experience with kidney, uh, you know, a specialty with kidney disease and, and diabetes, I was like, ah, you must have so many interesting thoughts about, um, Jason Fung, the celebrity nephrologist and his intermittent fasting Mm-hmm. cult and because I know a lot of ADHDers are super into a- intermittent fasting and I actually am not I mean I see a lot of I you know I really like geeked out on the concept of time restricted feeding right um because again like when we talk about the structures you know having structure in my life outside of a dieting paradigm I felt like well maybe this is really going to work for me um And so I was really into that idea of like a switch, like you were saying, like now is when I eat, now is when I don't, now is when I eat, now is when I don't, because it was, it felt very easy. And Mm -hmm. I felt like, oh, I'm going to be able to, um, train my body to, you know, like he, he sets it all up in this very easy seeming, um, concept of like, there is a switch in your body. And when you're, if you are fasting for a certain period of time, then your body like switches over to fat burning ketosis and like, like all of that. I was like, this is so fascinating. Is this true? I've never heard of this. And then all it took was one person to be like, yeah, that's not true. And I was like, oh, it's not like, <laughs> like, yeah. I, again, I'm sort of like, oh, um, all right. Yeah, you're right. Maybe there are a lot of holes in that theory. Um, but anyway, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm curious at, with, with the, the lens of, 
um, blood sugar and diabetes. Like, what are your thoughts on this, on mm-hmm. the intuitive fasting uh, bandwagon when it comes to mm-hmm. ADHD? Yeah, you mean for intermittent fasting? What did I call it? Oh, I called it intuitive, intuitive fasting. fasting. Oh God, oh, that book okay. is, that's seeping into my, oh no, in, intermittent yeah. fasting. <laughs> I actually read that book so that, so that no one else has to, if anyone ever wants my opinions on that terrible book. I did. Cause oh, I was curious. Cause I was like there, you know, because of the ADHD element, I was like, I see, you know, I have encountered a lot of intermittent fasters. I've been interested in the science of it, you know, and I was like, maybe there's something here. Um, and of course there isn't, but, uh, I'm curious, but I do like, I, I find Jason Fung very fascinating and I do find how he's come to where he is very interesting, just mostly from like a science-y point of view more than anything Mm -hmm. else. But at the same time, it's so nuanced and so problematic when it comes to like, if you have a history of dieting, then, Mm -hmm you know, fasting for long periods of time is probably not a great idea, but at the same time, like you also want to feel healthy and energized and Mm -hmm. sometimes intuitive eating doesn't, is not the best way to get there. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it goes back to your, it goes back to that idea of like, we want the fastest, easiest answer. And sometimes like when it comes to like finding a jumpstart and energy and all of this stuff that we're looking for, fasting does that for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a slippery slope because mm-hmm. I do geek out about all this research and um, I get really, really into it and I'll read all the studies and that's where I need to be careful because I myself am triggered by that in like an orthorexic sense because remember I told you since I was a kid, I've had that anxiety, health anxiety and, and feeling like I need to fix a problem because there's something, there might be something wrong with me. And so that's like, when I start reading those articles and stuff, it is very triggering, but I have to do it in order to keep up with everything in my, my fields. Right. So I have to do it. I, there, there are, there is research on inter intermittent fasting that shows can show some positive results, but I don't care what research shows anything. If it's not, sustainable for people and it's not going to help you mentally in the long run, then it doesn't make a difference to me. Um, People intuitively fasted years and years ago because they had to, just because food wasn't available, right? I mean, they had to go and catch their meat and, and hunt their, you know, hunt their dinner. We don't have to do that anymore. Our body, it doesn't necessarily need to be in a fasting state in order to to function properly, despite what people would say, right? Because they, they'll say like, oh, your body functions better when it's in ketosis. Not actually true um, to an extent. I mean, we're not going to get into the science of it, but I think um, I just, I can't get behind anything that that promotes restriction these days. I mean, I've I've just had to undo so much harm that these diets have caused to people. And I, I actually regret some of the stuff that I said when I was on um, Tracy Otsuka's podcast, because, you know, I, I think I was telling you, she asked me to describe all of the science behind nutrition for ADHD and all these other things. And it's like, yeah, we have the science behind it. But um, in the long run, if you're being so restrictive and you're trying to follow this diet exactly, 
you know, the way that the way that it says in this study versus how your body feels and what your body needs, that is going to ultimately breed binging and you're going to end up eating more than you normally would anyway, or you might even um, gain, you know, uh, get, you know, let's say high blood sugar or whatever because of the binging. Um, I'm trying to articulate what I'm trying to say. I can see it, but I can't say it right now. Um, and then there's just, there's a bigger overarching issue that people have than just the fact that they need to fast for a few hours a day. Like, I, I don't think that that's the going to help in the long run, to right. be honest. Well, I think it goes back to sort of what I was saying about atomic habits, which is, I think there are certain people who don't question things. Mm-hmm. How do I want to put this? I don't want to say like, you're not questioning things, but I think when it comes to like weight, you know, if somebody were to say, well, I do this because it keeps my weight in check. Mm -hmm. There might be a person who thinks, of course I need to keep my weight in check, right? Like that's a priority that's health. Whereas Mm -hmm. somebody who has struggled with yo-yo dieting and weight cycling is like, actually, I want to break free from feeling like weight is the ultimate um, indicator of health, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I want to break free from activities that, that focus on keeping my weight in check. And so then again, it's like an idea of like weight itself, um, becomes such a nuanced thing in in terms of like, is this really what I should be focusing on? You know, because Mm -hmm. I have a history of losing track of my health in pursuit of a number on a scale. And so Mm -hmm. I need to really like withdraw from that the same way that like Mm -hmm. 10,000 steps can be a really healthy life choice for a lot of people. But then there's certain parts of the, Mm -hmm. of, of the population where getting to 10,000 steps ends up becoming like a really disordered activity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's I so complicated. <laughs> like, I I'm like so beat red. I'm just like, I, like, I don't know. I, again, I feel like I, I battle internally with like, I need answers. And then also feeling <laughs> like I need to like, I need to loosen up and realize that I'm never going to get the answers mm-hmm. <laughs> or, you know, or at least it's a lifelong process of, of, mm-hmm. you know, talking about it and coming up with whatever is right for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to, I want to come back to that what you said, but, but first I had a thought about what you said before about the diabetes stuff is, um, I've seen like hundreds of people with diabetes over the years and, and with kidney disease, I used to work in a dialysis clinic and I worked, um, for the UCLA, uh, kidney program where I was helping people to, um, basically not have to go on dialysis. And, they all have the same issues that we do. It's restricting and then feeling lack of willpower and then overeating. It's the same thing. It's not willpower. It's not lack of willpower. It's because, and and this is so harmful, what I see doctors tell people, and it's not all doctors, but a lot of them is, let's say I go into the office, my A1C is high. My doctor tells me, oh, just lose weight and stop eating carbs. And that's what they're told, right? That two second piece of advice is so harmful for so many people. And then they try to do that. They're like, oh, well, I've, you know, I'm trying to lose weight and I'm trying to cut carbs, but I just can't. And I don't know what's wrong with me. There's something going on. Like, I'm really scared. I don't want to, I don't want to go on insulin or I don't want to go on dialysis, right? So they have all this fear like fear mongering and fear-based stuff. And yes, these things can happen, but 
cutting things out is not the answer. It's actually more of like what you have to add into your diet. Most of the time it's adding in things like fruits and vegetables and adding in movement and exercise that feels good versus what you need to stop doing. And there needs to be this huge movement, I think, in the, in the medical industry um, where doctors need to really stop telling people to just lose weight and stop eating carbs because that is not the answer. It is so harmful for people. I've had to do so much work. I used to, I used to work for Kaiser and I used to teach um, weight loss classes and diabetes classes and heart health classes. And it was all the same. It was focused on losing weight and, um, you know, limiting carb intake and all these things. And I absolutely hated it. Um, and I saw that it didn't work. Um, and I mean, Kaiser's a great organization. And if you're not familiar with it, it's basically one of the big hospital groups that's in the um, Southern California and like the, the Western region. Um, and they have these weight loss programs. And I used to teach the 24 week program where people would come in, they'd pay, they would meet with you every week with a group of, let's say like five to 20 people. And we would um, sit down and we'd have a lesson and we'd all talk and we'd do sort of this like motivational interviewing in a group style. And it did help for a lot of people, but we weighed them every week and they would feel good or bad based on what the weight was on the scale. Some of them would not even show up if to the class, if they knew that their weight hadn't gone down, it's just like, it was awful to watch because first of all, I don't think we should have been weighing them. Um, I think it should be about creating good practices and healthy practices and balanced meals throughout the week. Yes. We can also look at your, um, your diabetes numbers. So like your A1C, which measures how well, your blood sugars are for the last two to three months. Like there's other indicators that we can look at for health besides weight on the scale. Right. So um, there's just so much that we, that can be done. And I, I really, really highly recommend that people work with a dietitian that, that works with um, like that's anti-diet that's that works with intuitive eating and has a history in these things because you just really don't know what you're getting yourself into when you work with certain people. So I just recommend that they do it. All right. Well, I know, I know. I really adore talking to you. There you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the women and ADHD podcast. Also, as you know, we ADHDers crave feedback and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. Please take a moment to leave me a review over on my website, womenandadhd.com, or on Apple Podcasts, or Audible, or whatever other platform you're using. And if that feels like too much, and I get it, then just take a few seconds to give me a five-star rating. Boom, done. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this neurodivergent superpower and they may be struggling and they don't even know why. Make sure to tag me on Instagram or Twitter. I'm at women and ADHD. If you are a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood and you'd like to be interviewed as a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me. My email is womenandadhdpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to know more about me, head over to worthitwithkatie.com 
That's where I help other women with ADHD break free from the yo-yo dieting and binge eating cycle for good. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who has recently discovered that she is not lazy or crazy, but she has ADHD. And now she's on the path to understanding that neurodivergence and finally using it to her advantage. Take care till then.